presentation. Let's stand if we could for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 4, and we'll be in the first four verses to begin the message, or to begin our reading, and then we'll be down uh, through several verses, I believe down through verse 11 uh, tonight. The Bible says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, notice that if, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. We see Satan trying to play games with the mind of Christ, questioning his divinity. Verse 4, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Here in Matthew 4, we find three different attempts that Satan takes at, at trying to get Jesus to fall into sin. Interestingly enough, all three of these temptations, all three types of these temptations can be found with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And I think we'll see tonight that Satan uses these same three techniques on us every single day. He hasn't changed his game plan all these years later. From Adam and Eve all the way up to today, he uses the same three techniques. The same three techniques he also used on Christ. But Christ knew exactly how to counter Satan's uh, temptation. And tonight, we're going to look at the temptations and how Christ handled that. The title of the message is this, How Christ Handled Temptation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, giving us just a, a practical blueprint that we can turn to and learn to follow so that when we face our time of temptation, we may know what our way of escape is, that we may be able to bear it. And Lord, help us not to be ignorant of Satan and his uh, vices and devices. Lord, how Satan tempts us and tries to pull us down. May we be able to identify and then, Lord, have a plan in order to stay away from sin and to keep our hearts righteous. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. If you could turn over to Hebrews chapter 4 with me, and we're mostly tonight going to be in Matthew chapter 4, but I'd like you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. While you're finding your way there, a couple of observations I want to make about the passage in general. First, I want you to notice that Jesus went into the wilderness because he was led there by the Spirit of God. Wilderness was a place of barrenness. It was a place of solidarity. It was a place where he was uh, going to fast and starve the flesh. Notice that he was led there uh, to be alone. And before God, before Jesus would do anything great in ministry, he first spent a massive amount of time alone with God, walking with his Father spending time with his father. I also want you to notice in this passage that Jesus was at the peak of his oneness with God as a human being, or as at least up to this point in his life, right here after that 40th day in the wilderness. And at this point of spiritual climate, spiritual climax rather, what happened is he faced the greatest temptation. That's exactly what Satan likes to do. You have that new spurt of growth in your Christian life where, man, you're reading your Bible more faithful than you ever have and you're praying more faithful than you ever have and you're seeing God answer prayers and, and do things in big ways. 
you can be guaranteed that Satan's going to be right there to give you a gut check and see just how serious you really are about these new strides in your faith, this new growth in your faith. And that's exactly what happened to our Savior. If Satan's going to go after Jesus when he takes those steps forward in spirituality, boy, you can be guaranteed that Satan is going to do the same thing for us. Look at verse number 14 of Hebrews chapter 4. The Bible says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Now what would trip us up from what we profess? What would trip us up from our Christian lives and our Christian lifestyles? Well, temptations would. Look at verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. There is no temptation that we face that categorically Jesus himself did not face. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1. We know that Jesus faced temptations, and we know that all of us here face temptations. Look at verse number 1 of Hebrews 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we, are, we also are compassed about or surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so, look at this phrase here, easily beset us, easily trips us up, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We are told here in Hebrews 12 that we are to lay aside not only the weights, but the sins that easily beset us. That word beset means to attack on all sides, assail, harass. I picture a runner who's running in his first marathon, 26.2 miles, and he gets about 15 or 16 miles in, and he is exhausted and needing that second wind to really push through and get through that finish line and a group of naysayers shows up and surrounds him while he's running and begins to tell him you'll never make it you can't do it you're exhausted you're not trained well enough and you're never going to make it you might as well just quit now and hey listen if you go uh, and you quit now we'll give you this or we'll give you that and uh, listen uh, uh, take a shortcut you know what get in the car and ride around this way we'll drop you off about half a mile before the finish line you can jog across no one will ever know and hey as long as you cross the finish line uh, and you get the praise who cares how you got there all the temptations from those people that encircle this runner and my friend that's exactly what happens to us we have these sins that beset us they encircle us they assail us they harass us they're trying to trip us up so uh, as i put this message together i ask myself what are some common sins that trip up Christians today. And I came up with a list, and I believe that all of us can identify at least one, most of us, several sins that we face that get that can trip us up, that are great temptations for us. And so I would encourage you to flip that half sheet over and write these down on the back here, okay? It'll come up on the screen here. Pride, pride, that's one that probably gets every Christian. In fact, I think pride is probably the root of all sin, right? We expect um, 
uh, uh, people to treat us a certain way or we expect to get certain things and entitlement comes from pride, uh, anger comes from pride. Really, all the rest of the sins I'm going to list uh, uh, for you here are rooted or steeped in pride, have a, a basis of pride. But uh, categorically, pride, how about this one? Self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. Oh boy, that one gets me sometimes. Where I don't understand why people aren't treating me better, and I need respect, and I I need um, uh, I need uh, food, and I need attention, and don't ignore me. And hey, I'm right here, and uh, me, 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 me. Self-centeredness. Here's another one that gets a lot of people: laziness, laziness. And by the way, there are different uh, uh, types of laziness. There's the uh, 40-year-old that sits in mom's basement surfing the internet all day and, and eats off mom's uh, refrigerator. There's that kind of lazy. But did you know people that uh, hold a job and, and pay a mortgage can be lazy too? And sometimes just uh, cheating the boss at work and uh, not giving an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Uh, then there's another type of laziness, and that's when I have two things to do, and I pick the easier one because I just don't really want to do the other one, and the other one either doesn't get done or doesn't get done very well. But laziness is a besetting sin. Now we'll really get into some here that trip up a lot of people. Anger slash bitterness. People that fly off the handle and get angry, and they uh, get hot under the collar really quick, and they're quick to yell and shout and berate, and they're mean. And You've met some people that it goes beyond just an angry outburst. They're just bitter, deep down, deep down. They're bitter. And uh, you talk to them and you can sense that root of bitterness uh, that's defiling their soul. And this is a besetting sin. Someone's done you dirty. They've done you wrong and you don't let it go. And that dead uh, moral carcass, if you will, begins to rot all over you and ruin your life and make you into an, a person who doesn't know how to forgive and you become bitter. Here's another one, envy. Uh, or rather, uh, sexual lust. I got them out of order there. Sexual lust is at an all-time high in our society, in our culture. Um, uh, people dress in ways that are provocative. I used to say that women dress in ways that are provocative. And then skinny jeans became a thing on men. And now I say that people dress in ways that are provocative. I don't get the skinny jean trend. I, you'll never see this fat boy in a pair of skinny jeans, and you ought to be thankful for that. Amen? Uh, but uh, sexual lust is a problem, and, you know, men uh, are turned on visually, and so uh, they'll find their pornography online. In fact, of the top ten websites visited in America yearly, there are two different porn sites that make that list of most visited sites in America, pornography is heavily accessed and consumed uh, by people in America. And it isn't just men. Women uh, tune into it as well. Uh, in fact, startling statistics have come out about how many women look at pornography. But oftentimes, for women, it isn't what they see, it's what they read. And uh, erotic, romantic novels are picked up and read by women, and they play out fantasies in their mind that are not healthy and unchristian and ungodly and Listen, uh, uh, these things are wrong. And how about this one? Envy. Envy. Now, envy is when you look at something someone else has or a position they have and you hate them because they have it and you don't have it. It's envy. It's not jealousy. It's jealousy on a whole other level. Envy. And 
This is when a coworker of yours gets a promotion at work and you begin to hate them because they got it. You're not jealous. No, it's a step further. You begin to have a disdain their direction. Someone does well in life. They get a new car. Maybe your neighbor um, uh, gets a big upgrade with something or whatever it would be. And there's this spirit of envy. I know when I was a kid in school, this is really simple, but keep the children engaged. I had that kid in my class who never studied and made straight A's. I was envious. I didn't like that person. You know, I had to work at it. And, I, and I'd work at it sometimes and make a C plus or a B minus. And here this kid uh, uh, picks his nose all day and shows up and makes an A+. Plus. How, I mean, it just it wasn't fair. And it went beyond just jealousy where I would become envious toward that person. And that same spirit can carry over into adult life. Let me give you a couple more. Here's a big one. Gluttony. Gluttony. We live in a country where uh, people overeat all the time. And you know what? There are different types of gluttony. There's just eating, um, there's eating uh, too much too often, but then there's the gluttony where I can't just have one donut, I've got to have a dozen all at once. And I can't have one brownie, I've got to have seven brownies right now. And I shove, my, shove them into my mouth until I make myself sick. And uh, that is a problem that many people struggle with in silence, they have a hard time with it, and uh, they're, um, uh, they battle with that, that gluttony and uh, that overeating of food. And uh, here's another one, lying, lying. A lot of people struggle with lying. You know, there's a lot of different ways you can tell a lie. Did you know that you can present a set of facts that are accurate and still be lying? Because you are leaving out facts that would tell the rest of the story. Sometimes it's not what you're saying, it's what you're not saying that's misleading people. And we have this phrase, well, I just told a little white lie. You know, there's no such thing as a little white lie. God, in the eyes of God, lying is a sin. In fact, in the list of sins in Proverbs 6 that God hates, right toward the top of the list is a lying tongue, a lying tongue. Let me give you one more, godless Entertainment, godless entertainment. Oh, it's so prevalent today. My uh, kids will come home and say, can we watch this movie? Can we watch this show? And I'll pull up a website that tells me, gives me a parental guide of what's in a movie. And I look it up and I see all the cursing that's in movies that are made for kids. The nudity. The sexuality. The innuendos the violence and the gore. Proverbs talks about being entertained by violence, being a bad thing. Christians, we have to be careful not to let what the world finds as entertainment land in our living rooms. Used to be preachers preached against going to the movies. I guess some old preachers still preach against going to the movies. Can I tell you today, you don't need to go to a cinema to take in something really bad. All you have to have is a Netflix or an Amazon account. There's a lot of filth on those, on those platforms. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I've got an Amazon Prime account. and We watch Little House on the Prairie in Amazon. That's really about all we watch on there. Maybe some Leave it to Beaver. I, you know, uh, shows of that nature. But boy, I see what pops up on there as options. And it isn't so good. It isn't so good. Christian, don't you be entertained by that which is sinful. We see these sins that become besetting sins. You're sitting in your living room and you're all by yourself and 
you think I can watch this show and no one will know. Now, what I'd like for us to do with this list on the screen is I'd like everyone to take a minute and study that list, whether you've written it down or you want to look up at the screen. And I want everyone to take a moment and ask themselves, which of those do I struggle with? You don't have to say it out loud, but which of those do you struggle with? I'm not here to preach a sermon against any one of these sins per se. Now let me ask you another question. Are you, are you tired of giving in and losing? How many of you here tonight have been able to identify at least one thing on that list? That's a struggle for you. Will you hold your hand up? Be honest. Okay. All right. Some of you didn't raise a hand. I guess you have this whole temptation thing figured out. Good for you. Well, for the rest of us, all right, are you tired of giving in? Are you tired of losing the battle at least occasionally? Are you frustrated that you can't seem to get the victory? Do you really question God if there truly is a way of escape? I know in my life I've struggled with some of these things. And I remember thinking, he provides a way of escape that I might be able to bear it. Well, where was the exit ramp? Because I sure missed it. I didn't happen to see where it was. And if you're like me, there have been times in your life where you've just wanted to give up. You live in sin not because, you know, you enjoy the sin, but because you've tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. And, failed. and you're just like, you know what? If I try again, I'm just going to fail. So why even try? I've been there. And so if that's where you are, boy, I think everyone in the room understands it. Now, I believe that God's Word has the answers we need to conquer our besetting sins. God would never, ever, ever command us to do something that He would not enable us to accomplish. And we see that Christ was led directly into the wilderness so that He could be tempted. Go back to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Why was Jesus taken in the wilderness? To be tempted of the devil. You say, well, God doesn't tempt people. No, but sometimes God will allow you to uh, be tempted by the devil on purpose. He's trying to give you a gut check with your faith. He's going to allow you to face really strong temptation to see how you respond. God gave us this life experience of Christ in Scripture so that we could draw from it truths that will help us to overcome our temptation. So, let's look closely at our passage uh, this evening. And let's see three observations that will help us follow the model of Christ and overcome our temptations. All right, point number one, point number one, Satan's reasonings. Satan's Reasonings. He's going to try to reason with Jesus as to why it is he should give in. Now, before we move on, I just want to add this here. This sermon I put together punched me right between the eyeballs. I mean, was a strong shot to me this week and showed me, boy, I've really got 
some growing to do. I've really been uh, falling in certain areas, and I've been tempted, and I've not been handling my temptations very well lately. And before I preached this sermon, I had to get down on my knees, and I had to do some uh, cleaning up of my life and confessing to the Lord. And can I tell you that tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to work to fight that battle Yet again. Now, look down at Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 3, and we see that Satan is given one of his titles here. The Bible says, And when the tempter, when the tempter came to him. Let me take a moment here and say that I don't believe that Satan is present everywhere, every, uh, rather, that Satan is present every time that you are tempted. We know that Satan is not an omnipresent being, he can only be in one place at once. And uh, the old comedian, Flip Wilson, used to say, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. And I say, you know, the devil probably didn't make you do it. In fact, I believe that Satan doesn't even know the large majority of, of the names of humanity. He has no reason to know them because most of us are too tripped up by our own flesh. Now, uh, there are three ways in which a Christian can be tempted. Let me give you these here. And I have a lot more material than just the notes uh, for you this evening. So if you can find spots to write this down and write small, then do that. There are three ways in which uh, Christians can be tempted. Here they are. They are the flesh, number one, the flesh. And I, in parentheses, I have written down what I want to do. The flesh is what I want to do. I want to do it. Uh, the, the world, the world, and that's what culture tells me to do. That's what culture tells me to do. You know, sometimes we give in and we do wrong, not because our flesh wants to do it, but because we're feeling pressure from the culture at large. And then number three, the devil. The world, the flesh, the world, and the devil. And then I have in parentheses what Satan tempts me to do. What Satan tempts me to do. This goes beyond what my flesh wants me to do. And this is what Satan himself and his kingdom tempts me to do. And as we analyze Satan's methods, we can see that all he does, all Satan does today is recycle his same old methods. What was the first method we find here with Jesus? Notice letter A, he emphasizes the flesh. He emphasizes the flesh. Look down at Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 3. The Bible says there, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Here Christ had gone 40 days and nights without eating. And while Jesus was 100% God, he was also 100% man. Now, I've fasted at various times in my life, sometimes for spiritual reasons and other times for health reasons. And other times it was a combination of the two at once. I've gone uh, a long time without eating. I've never gone 40 days. But I can tell you I've come close to 40 days. And when I got done with my fast, I was starving. In fact, I gorged my face. I was so hungry. And I didn't even know I was hungry because my stomach could quit telling me. But boy, as soon as food hit my mouth, my goodness, I, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't get enough of it. And uh, it, it, it almost had a reverse effect from all of the, the fasting and not eating. You know what? Jesus had gone 40 days without eating and he was starving. And Satan came along and said to him, you know, you can turn that, those stones into bread. You can eat that. Now, I've asked myself this question since I was a little guy in Sunday school. What would have been sinful about Jesus turning stones into bread and eating it? And the answer is nothing. Nothing. 
other than the fact that he would have been obeying the devil. You see what Satan is trying to do here? He's tempting Jesus with a fleshly need. A fleshly need. Satan will whisper in your ear, Christian, this lie. If it feels good, then just do it. If it feels good, then just do it. Hey, you know, you want a coffee? Stop and get that coffee. You, you want a cheeseburger? Stop and buy that cheeseburger. You want to feel good? Uh, then go to that massage parlor that's shady. Uh, you you want a you, you want a diversion from uh, the hardships of life? Then turn to the bottle and take a drink. No one will know. Or or uh, shoot up that heroin or whatever uh, the temptation would be. Smoke that joint. Whatever the temptation would be, he emphasizes the flesh. He comes along and says, if your flesh wants it, then you should do it. Here are some sins that many Christians give into today. Before I give you those, let me uh, give you another quote here. Every temptation is packaged with the same lie that if I succumb, then I will be happier. If I give in, I will be happier. Oh, if I look at that really good-looking woman who's walking down the road, I'll feel happy. If I, uh, uh, if I overeat, eat too many donuts or too many brownies or uh, uh, go up for another plate at the buffet or whatever it would be, I will be happier. If I watch one more hour of television, I will be happier. I deserve a break. Me, me, me. My flesh, my flesh. Here are some sins that many Christians give in today that are related to the flesh. Here's one. Drugs. Drugs. And I mean prescribed and non-prescribed. Some prescription drugs you shouldn't be taking. Some prescription drugs Christians should stay away from. And listen, Christian, we have to get to a place where we understand that just because the U.S. of A. says it's legal, that does not mean it's good. Amen? There are a lot of drugs Christians have no right being on. Now, you're sick and you need an antibiotic to get you over the hump. Fine, by all means. You have a headache and you need a Motrin or Tylenol, by all means. Uh, uh, you go for that. You do that. Uh, but anything done out of moderation becomes a problem. But a lot of Christians turn to drugs. Here's another one that we mentioned a minute ago. Gluttony. How about sexual sins? Anger. Bitterness. These are sins of the flesh. By the way, when you get angry, you lose your cool. There's chemicals that are released in your body that make you feel good at the moment. But boy, it's like drinking a hot soda on a hot day. It leaves a bad aftertaste in your spirit. You wish you hadn't do it, done it. Satan has ensnarled many people. He has them trapped by their own habits. They feel helpless, hopeless, and lost. My encouragement to you this evening is learn to say no to what your flesh wants. Learn to say no. How do I do that? Well, in that moment of temptation, you bow your head and you pray and you ask the Spirit of God to run to your side and help you. Someone once said this. They said, sin is right, done at the wrong time. Sin is right, done with the wrong person. Sin is right, done out of order. Sin is right, done with the wrong motives. Sin is right, done in the wrong place. 
Sin is right done without moderation. We're going to leave that list up there for a moment. I want to talk about a couple of those. Listen, God has given us as human beings the desire to eat. Nothing wrong with that. We need it to eat. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Christian, what you're putting in your mouth, is it necessary or is it gluttony? Is it gluttony? There's a change in my life that I'm getting ready to make with the turn of a new year. And I'm going to make a goal in 2021 to eat out at less restaurants. You know, growing up as a boy, eating out at restaurants was a treat that we did on occasion. There's nothing wrong with eating out at restaurants. Nothing sinful about that. But it's gotten to a place in my life where I feel that I probably eat out way too much. And you know, when you go to restaurants, have you noticed the portions of food they give you are massive? They're pushing you to gluttony. You polish off your plate every single time. You're putting yourself in a place where you're just not very healthy. Sin is right done at the wrong time. As human beings, uh, uh, let me just talk about this for a minute. As uh, sin, or Rather, sin is right done with the wrong person. Sin is right done with the wrong person. As human beings, God gave us the system of reproduction. This process is beautiful. This process pleases God. I grew up being told that that three-letter word that uh, describes the reproductive process was a dirty word. And the truth is, it isn't. It's a beautiful word. It's, a, it's an act, it's a process that is meant to be beautiful, that God created. It's wonderful in its place. But what is sin? It's sin done at, with the wrong person. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and, and adulterers God will judge. It may feel good. The adrenaline rush might feel good when you're having that extramarital affair. You're ha- enjoying that premarital sex. Can I tell you that sin is done with the wrong person or at the wrong time? Sin is right done with the wrong person or at the wrong time. Here's another one. Uh, sin is done with the wrong motives. There are times in my life where I've done the right thing, but I've done it for the praise of man. I've done it for accolades. I've done it to have my back padded. How many of you can testify that you've made the same mistake? You have your reward, Jesus said. You do the right thing, but you do it with the wrong motives. There have been other times where I've been really, really nice to someone because I wanted them to do something nice for me back. I've never shared this story before, but uh, when I was a senior in high school, I got a call one day from a lady in our church I didn't know. And this lady said, um, hey, I attend church with you, and I know you're getting ready to go off to Bible college. Can you meet me at the White Marsh Mall right around the corner from your house? I said, what for? She said, I'm going to take you clothes shopping for college. I said, okay, I'll see you there. So I met her in the mall, and she took me into Macy's. Now, I never bought anything at Macy's growing up because that was way too expensive. That lady dropped like $1,500 on me, buying me clothes for college. I didn't even know her. 
It was a large church, six, seven hundred people at the time. Um, I remember I got back from college after my freshman year, and I went and found her. And I said, I sure am grateful you bought me all those clothes. And it's good to give thanks, but you know what I was really doing? I was hoping she'd say, you want to go again? And then after my sophomore year, I found her again. I sure am grateful, hint, hint, that you bought me those clothes. Sin done with the wrong motives. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says this, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For we are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What was Satan's first method he used to tempt Christ? He emphasized the flesh. He emphasized the flesh. Letter B, notice, he erroneously uses Scripture. Look back, look back at Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 5. The Bible says, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. You know what Satan was doing here is he was taking a verse out of the book of Psalm and he was twisting it out of context. There are many religions in this world that claim the Bible as their holy book, but they teach a far different message, preach a far different message than this church does. How did they get there? They got there because they're falling for Satan's age-old trick of taking Scripture and twisting it out of context and creating a whole worldwide religion. Satan loves to allow us to use the Bible to justify ourselves in our own actions. I put on the screen a few minutes ago that one besetting sin for many Christians is anger and bitterness. And you know, a Christian who's angry, you know what their favorite verse in the Bible is? Ephesians 4.26 Be ye angry and sin not. See, the Bible tells me I have the right to be angry. No, sir. Five verses later, it says, Let all anger be put away from you with malice. You have a problem on your hand. Either the Bible contradicts itself, or Ephesians 4.26 doesn't say what you think it does. But you see how people want to use the Bible to justify their own life? And I found this in my life, that there's very little room between what I believe and how I live. Either I'm going to bring my living up to what I believe, or with enough time, I'm going to bring what I believe down to where I live, and I'm going to learn how to justify it with the Bible. There's a lot of people who twist Scripture to justify all sorts of weird things and weird lifestyles and weird living. I got up on a Sunday morning in my Sunday school class as an assistant pastor, and I taught a lesson that was against Christians consuming alcohol. That Tuesday, I, was ha I had breakfast with one of the men in that class, and he wanted to use the Bible to tear me apart as to why it is not a sin for Christians to use alcohol. And conveniently, he had three or four verses earmarked in his Bible that seemed to indicate that it was not a sin. And he just wanted to take me apart on that. 
he wanted to erroneously use Scripture because he was in sin and didn't want to admit it. We see Satan using the same old tactics today. Let her see. He encourages instantaneous gratification. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of God and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. In essence, what Satan was telling Christ was, why wait until later when I can just give them to you right now? Right? We know that one day Jesus will sit on a throne in Jerusalem and he will rule and reign this earth right here. And Satan was saying to Jesus, why wait all the way until then? If you'll just bow down and worship me right now, I'll give you the end goal. I'll give you the prize. Just bow down and worship me. Instantaneous ratification. If you'll give in and sin now, you can have what it is that you're really after. Bob Jones, Sr., the great preacher of yesteryear, was credited with saying this, Never sacrifice the flower of the future on the altar of the present. Never sacrifice the flower of the future on the altar of the present. Many, many teenagers give in to their fleshly impulses. And they give away their virginity, their purity. After some high school prom, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. They sleep with someone they'll probably never marry. They give away the flower of the future on the altar of the present. If that was you, I'm not here to judge you, but I am here to say that, boy, the marital act is a lot more enjoyable if you wait until you're actually married. You both wait. You give that up. You lose that. You lose that innocence, that purity. Many, 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 many people enjoy things now that hurt their future. I had a teenage boy raise his hand in a Bible class once when I was very young in ministry. His name was Jeremy, and Jeremy asked me, he said, well, well, well he called me Mr. Lejeune, that was my title at that ministry. He said, Mr. Lejeune, I understand that, you know, um, uh, we're not to abuse God's grace, but so what if we do? So what if we do? I'll go out and live how I want to for a few years. I'll sow my wild oats. I'll come back to the Lord and I'll apologize and I'm guaranteed that He will forgive me. And then I'll just go on and live a good Christian life. And I said, God might forgive you, Jeremy, but that doesn't mean there won't be much pain from your choices. That doesn't mean there won't be hurt you'll have to deal with for the rest of your life. That doesn't mean the diseases you contract will leave your body. That doesn't mean the habits, addictive habits that you form, you'll ever be able to break away from. God will forgive you, but that doesn't mean that you won't severely regret abusing God's grace. Satan wants to sell us on instantaneous gratification. And can I tell you that the fast food industry has done us no services? 
Well, I'll just go through that drive-through real quick and get that donut or get that hamburger. I'll just uh, and listen again. There's nothing wrong with fast food, but what has fast food programmed us? What have cell phones programmed us to be? Right now, right away. And interesting, it's called the iPhone. For all of us narcissists out there, yep, iPhone, me. I know the I stands for Internet, for those of you who are judging me. Amen? He encourages instantaneous gratification. Satan's using the same old tactics today. He used back with Jesus and he used in the Garden of Eden. Number one, Satan's reasonings. Number two, notice Christ's responses. Christ's responses. Let's be clear. Christ was totally incapable of sinning. Even though Satan himself made it his personal goal to trip up the Savior, Satan never had a chance. James 1 verse 13 says, Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempted he any man. Again, Christ went through this experience to show us as believers exactly how to respond when Satan tries to reason us into one of his traps. Now, much of my life, I have heard it taught that the way that Jesus got rid of Satan was just by quoting Scripture. And while that is true, I believe that answer is shallow. Jesus didn't just quote Scripture. He was precise in the Scripture he quoted. He was well-versed with his sword, and he knew how to swing it back at the devil. And lesson, Christian, I would encourage you to get to know your Bible to memorize verses to use during times of temptations. But the answer of how to fend off the devil and his temptations goes far beyond just quoting a verse. Notice letter A, speaking of Jesus or Jesus Christ, he prioritized his appetites. He prioritized his appetites. Look back with me at Matthew chapter 4, verse number 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. There's the temptation. Notice how Jesus responds. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now really, the entire message this evening has been introduction to this point right here. How Christ handled temptation. Now we've identified what the three ways are, right? Let's talk about how Christ overcame temptation and how we can overcome temptation. Now, there are three parts to the human body, all right? There's the body, that's your flesh. There's your soul, okay? That's the uh, part of you that interacts with God. And there is your spirit. Those are your, that is your emotions. Your emotions, the emotional part of human nature are your spirit. What was Christ saying here? Satan was telling Jesus, put the body first, put the soul second, and put the spirit last. Hey, you need to make sure you take care of and indulge that body. This is a poor way for a Christian to live. Body, then my soul, then my spirit. And unfortunately for many of us, this is where we are. Why can't you overcome the flesh, because you wake up every morning with the needs of the flesh out ahead of the needs of your spirit, of the Holy Spirit. 
And if your goal each day is to gratify the flesh, then guess what you're going to do? You're going to gratify the flesh. Satan came at Jesus and said, Man, Jesus, don't those, you could turn those stones into bread. Doesn't that sound good? Put your body first. Jesus turned around and he said, No, Satan, spirit, soul, body. Spirit, soul, body. And I put spirit first because that spirit is supposed to be the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's in charge, then guess what? That part of us that interacts with God, that ends up being second. And then we make the body last. The body last. What my flesh wants, if I'm walking with God, won't matter. It won't matter. Those fleshly impulses begin to fade in the distance. Hey, you're, you're battling that gluttony, and you want those donuts, those brownies, those cookies, that extra large juicy steak with that loaded baked potato and that side of asparagus. And there's nothing wrong, again, with any one of these things necessarily, but that overindulgence, and that body's craving and calling out for it, and you hit the pause button and you say, No, Lord, you first. Here's a good principle for you to live your life by, Christian. Do not give your flesh anything it needs until you have first walked with God each day. Before I take a sip of coffee, I'm going to read at least one verse. Before I put one bite of cereal in my mouth, I'm going to read an entire chapter of the Bible. Before I have my bacon and eggs, my toast. Hey, here's another one, and I'm going to get personal here. Before, this is the husbands and wives in the room. Before I am intimate with my spouse, I will first walk with God and emotionally be intimate with Christ. What if that's how we lived our lives? Where we put the spirit first. Spirit, then soul, then body. Jesus wasn't tempted by that bread because he was so in touch with God and the spirit of God that his flesh didn't matter. Satan throws the flesh at us. And Christians say, I'm not walking by the flesh. I'm walking by the Spirit. Let her be. He perceived Satan's antics. Look at Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 5. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. So picture this. Satan takes Jesus up into the bell tower, if you will, of the temple. All right? There they are in the steeple of the temple. And um, looking down, probably two, three, four stories up in the air. And saith unto him, Satan says unto Jesus, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Again, verse 6, Satan taking the Bible out of context. Verse 7, Jesus saith unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. There are plenty of people in the world who live their life with an extreme amount of moderation. They may not even be saved. But they've got this moderation thing figured out better than most Christians do. 
They may even claim to be agnostic or uh, of a whole different religious system. And boy, they have great discipline when it comes to their flesh. And they know how to deny themselves. They've got all that figured out. But yet they still have fallen for a different one of Satan's traps because they've allowed a false religion that's human-based and fleshly-based to trip them up. How did Christ handle Satan's misuse of Scripture? He handled the devil with much wisdom. Satan was in essence saying, why don't you play chicken with God? Hey, you know, we're up here in this bell tower. Hey, Jesus, just jump. And Before you hit that ground, an angel is going to come down and he's going to soften your landing. He's going to catch you. The angels may just fly down and grab you by the shirt and keep you from hitting the ground. Wow! You know how amazing that will be? Can I just say this to Satan? That is so super immature. I can remember being a little fifth grader on top of the slide with my friends and them saying, I dare you to jump off. (laughs) I bet you won't break a leg if you do. That's basically what Satan's doing to Jesus here. And Jesus is like, nope, I'm not going to tempt the Lord. I'm not going to tempt the Lord. You say, well, pastor, how do I know when someone is misusing Scripture? Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11, the Bible says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who cometh thither, uh, when, uh, who coming thither rather went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. We've talked a lot about apostasy and falling to false doctrine and not giving in to that and making sure that Christ is at the forefront of our doctrine. But how does a person know when someone is even subtly misusing Scripture? By walking with God and reading the Bible and being a student of the Scriptures. You know, the more a a bank teller handles real money, the quicker they're able to identify counterfeits. You don't study the counterfeits to know what a counterfeit is. You study the real thing and a counterfeit becomes extremely obvious. And I, I don't know that it's a total waste of time to study uh, cults and everything they believe, but I'll tell you this, you'd be far better, uh, far better use of your time is know the Holy Scriptures inside and out, and you'll know false doctrine when you see it. Satan tried to come along and twist Scripture, and Jesus perceived Satan's annex and called him out for it. Don't be prey of falling to a false preacher. Letter C, notice, he prohibited Satan's arrogance. Look back at Matthew chapter 4, verses 8, 9, and 10. He prohibited Satan's arrogance. Verse number 8. Again, the devil taketh him into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Satan must have thought, Christ is no better than I am. You know, I, uh, Satan must have thought, I gave in. I fell this way. I thought I could ascend my throne above uh, uh, the throne of God. I thought I could be like the Most High. And I wanted power, power, power. I wanted fame, fame, fame. And surely if I throw power and fame in the face of Jesus and offer it to Him right now, surely I can get Him to fall. 
And Jesus noticed the arrogance of Satan, and he said, Satan, get lost. I'm not giving in to your temptation of instantaneous gratification. Jesus said, I have my eyes set on the goal, and I'm going to stay the course, and I'm going to be patient, and I'm going to wait until the appropriate time, and I'm going to get what I'm supposed to have at the appropriate time. He prohibited Satan's arrogance from overtaking him. We've seen Satan's reasonings. We've seen Christ's responses. Number three, and lastly notice, Christ's restoration. Christ's restoration. Look back at verse number 11. Matthew chapter 4. The Bible says, Then the devil leaveth him. And behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Again, Christ was 100% God. He could not sin. But he was also 100% man. He was starving. He was weak. And he was tired. And angels came and ministered to him. What does that mean? That means they most likely came and they fed him. They fed him a meal. They came around and encouraged him. You know, um, after you have faced a strong temptation, you need restoration. You need restoration. Where do we get this restoration? And I'll be done with the sermon with these two thoughts here. You need a time of personal restoration. Personal restoration. How do we, how are we restored Personally, by getting in the Bible and getting on our knees and praying. Can I tell you how I've overcome uh, temptations in my life? When I have overcome temptations, can I tell you how I've done it? I've gotten down on my knees at 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 the climax of that temptation and I've just prayed my way through it. Just prayed my way through it. Lord, I am tempted. I am tempted to go eat that. I am tempted to respond in an angry manner. I am tempted to dive in headfirst into sexual lust. I am tempted with uh, whatever it is, pride. I'm tempted with being self-centered. And Lord, here's the situation and here's how I want to respond. Lord, I need you to help me because I can't. Satan leaves and we get in the Bible and we read it and we pray. We walk with God. We find that he restores our soul. The 23rd Psalm, he leadeth me beside the still water. He restoreth my soul. Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Then he had a time of restoration. There are times, seasons in your life, Christian, where you're going to be tempted. You need to make sure you follow that up with a time of restoration. We need personal restoration, but we also need corporate restoration. And you know where we get that? We get that at church. We get that at church. I love coming to church. I love being around all of you. I love seeing your smiling faces. And just being around you encourages me in the Lord. Sit in a life group beginning next week. Uh, Sit in a church service. Be here three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Walk with God on your own and then be fed with the Word of God here at church, and what you'll find is that you will be restored. It gets you through the tough times. How many of you can think through a time in your life where, man, you were really going through it, and church was about all that God carried you through? How many of you can think, th- think through some times like that in your life? Boy, I, let's, let's keep that up. 
You know, I found, again, I've said this before, I'll say it again, when lost people, unchurched people, uh, hit hard times, they go to church. But when church people hit hard times, they run from church, oftentimes. Let's not let that be true about us. Boy, when the tough gets going, the tough ought to go to church. Amen? Where we're restored. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Jesus, we're so thankful that there was a time where you went through these temptations. And Lord, while you never even came close to sinning, Lord, you gave us a blueprint for how to overcome. Lord, help us to pray through. Help us to identify the struggle. Help us to seek accountability. Help. Help us, Lord, to be willing to be humble enough to admit where we're weak. Lord, I could preach a whole sermon about how our pride keeps us from ever getting real help. We're too afraid of what people think about us to admit where we're wrong, where we're weak. Lord, the truth is that every one of us in here are weak. Every one of us in here have struggles. Lord, if all of us were laid bare and everyone could see everything that each one of us struggles with, we'd all be embarrassed. Lord, we need that accountability one with the other. We need to edify one another by holding each other accountable. But Lord, first and foremost, we need to be accountable to you. Lord, help us to follow your model laid out in Scripture. Help us to respond to temptation the way you did. Lord, somebody here tonight needs to be restored. They've been living a life of sin. They need that restoration. Would you help them with that tonight? Help them to come running to you in your presence, begging for your help. In Jesus' name.